Hello, welcome to our talk today, <laughs> this last session of MCN. We're so glad you're here with us. Yeah. Um, my name is Becca Schreckengast. I'm Director of Exhibitions at Carnegie Museum of Natural History. And these are my creative colleagues, David Lerman from Guy2Go and Robin Owen White from Media Combo. So um, our talk today is about is We Are Nature, How a Physical Exhibition Became a Virtual Experience. So I want to tell you some about We Are Nature. Uh, we Are Nature was open in um, 2017 to 2018 for about a year. Um, it was sort of a flagship exhibition for us. The Carnegie Museum of Natural History is sort of changing the way that we were approaching interpreting natural history and human history from one that was sort of very separate to one that's more interconnected. And we have this gallery that's funded in a certain way that we have funds to turn over exhibitions. So we knew that this exhibition could only be open for one year. And what we were trying to do is invite visitors in, um, give them resources about the evidence of environmental change, but at the same time motivate them and empower them in their experience of that content. Um, this. Um, Exhibition was about two weeks away from coming down, and David was on site. We were working on an augmented reality project together, and we were walking through We Are Nature, and I was lamenting about, oh, it stinks when exhibitions are temporary, because we put a lot of effort into it. And um, it was testing very well with visitors. We'd got our educational programs kind of honed. We were like cruising. And he said, oh, you know, I have a colleague that could probably scan this for us. I don't know what we'll do with it, but we could scan it. Um, and it seemed like a great idea. We didn't know exactly how we would apply that. So we, um, we managed to get the contract uh, scope change together in time to um, invite uh, Robin and her group to come to the museum and scan the exhibition two days before we took it down. Mm. So this is a, a, just a film. Um, oops, sorry. This is a film. Um, we used a lot of the assets that we created for the exhibition because we already had labels and content and everything. But some, we had to create some new pieces so that it had the right context in a virtual environment. And this is just to give you a sense of sort of the content of the show, something that Media Combo produced for us. Oh, is the sound on? Yeah, sounds not on. Thanks for your patience. Decisions affect all life. 
Welcome to the Anthropocene. So this um, is a uh, web version. We created two versions of this virtual experience. The first is a web accessible version, which we weren't sure we were going to make when we scanned it, and then also a um, VR, entirely immersive experience in the Oculus. Um, so there's a couple different ways you can start the experience. Yeah. One is to uh, freely explore the gallery space and to see the exhibits in detail, and the other is to um, um, open a guided tour. And that guided tour, we used um, some. It's okay. Sorry, just okay. <laughs> go, go back. Okay. It'll it'll play. It doesn't need sound. So. Yeah, let's go back here. <coughs> So um, let me rewind a little bit. So uh, there's a couple different ways you can in enter the exhibition if you're in the free explore mode. The, the guided tour had sort of an audio companion, so if you um, aren't able to see the exhibition, there was sort of an accessible audio companion to the show. Um, so we can put it on our website at, and at the museum. But here is the map version, where you're sort of seeing the major theme areas of the exhibition. And we also had um, a list, so where you can sort of see photographs and, and uh, eye-level views. So different ways to get into the content and decide where, where you want to navigate to. So it's a little faster than it was. So what happens is when you select where you're going to go, it's a little, little slower than that. You kind of zoom in and you land. And uh, audio uh, clip, essentially we hired a voice actor to read all the labels and record them. And then, um, so that started that area, so you could hear it, but you're still able to free explore. So you're not stuck looking at something at this point, but you're hearing it. So we wanted to do that um, with sort of a, um, an audio <coughs> asset. In, uh, as part of the experience. So we have lots of assets. We have specimens, we have labels. So we were able to sort of lay these in and make them available. And they sort of exist in three-dimensional space. We also had a lot of media in the exhibition. And the scope of our contract is pretty limited. It wasn't a very expensive project. Um, we knew we wanted to, there were some media experiences that were tested really positively and had a bigger impact. So we thought we would recreate those as interactives in the virtual space. And the other ones, we already had the assets, so we video recorded and, and laid in video in those places. So you can see that here. as a way to interpret things we had. But here's an interactive piece um, about how you feel about anthropogenic change. And here, yes, no, we're not sure. 
and that <coughs> allows you to do kind of a polling activity in the in the experience itself. So this is the the um, Oculus version of the same experience. It's much more immersive. We were able to use the same assets for this, um, but it's a, just a little more dramatic um, than the web version of it. So um, why did we do it? What was the purpose of the work? Well, first, um, we wanted to honor what we had created, because exhibits are so complex to make. Um, a lot of passion goes into it, research, design, and physical production. Um, we felt that even though the exhibition was able to be open only one year, that the VR is available for as long as we want, so we can extend the life of that moment. Um, low environmental impact was a pillar of the physical exhibition design. We reused just about everything we had in there. But even then, you know, we painted a bunch of pallets black and um, used old risers and painted everything. Most of that exhibition went into the trash or back into storage cabinets. So when this was closed, even though it, um, it itself was um, not sustained, the VR is living on. So it, from a sustainability standpoint, it works. And one of the things that I'm finding is very useful is that it's available for reference now. So it's an archive. Uh, when you take exhibitions down, the specimens all go in there, cubbies and holes. Your label copy gets filed away on the server, and it never comes together again. It can never be whole. <laughs> it only remains in your memory. And this is a way for it to um, be archived in its wholeness. And the other, you know, idea is that we're extending beyond the walls of the museum because the building as a problem uh, uh, space to think about, it has limited reach. Um, we want to share our story fluidly through like email, something easy, or through the Oculus app so we're able to connect. Uh, visitors and colleagues all over the world are given like a portal to our physical space but to our ideas. So access is big. And because we had developed so much educational programming around the, the We Are Nature exhibition, and we're still using it in sort of our school interactions, this was a, 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 something we could use to bridge sort of the, the experience that our school groups and education teams were having at the museum to pre and post visit. And now uh, David and Robin can talk some about that how. <coughs> So now we're going to take you through the production flow. So the first thing that we had to do was to capture, um, the first thing we had to do was to, was to capture the experience. And uh, we knew when we started, as Becca said, that we wanted to have both a well, I knew anyway that <laughs> we yeah, wanted to have both a virtual, you know, a headset experience and also a web-based experience. And we also figured out that we would want to be able to give people um, the opportunity to explore all the way through on their own and also maybe just give them a highlights tour as well. And um, 
so so that was you know sort of how we that was how we we structured uh, the way we were going to work. So the first thing we did was to organize the scanning and photogrammetry of the exhibition space, which was about seven thousand square feet, and uh, it was pretty good. It took about four hours for us to um, to capture the space. Uh, we just used a, we used a, a device that allowed us to create 2D high-res 360 panoramic photos, which were ultimately stitched together to create the environment through which people can move. Um, and basically, the way they move is pretty much the way that you move uh, through Google Street View, basically jumping from point to point, um, which, uh, you know, which works both on the web and also um, in the headset. And um, every time you stop, you can look around full 360 degrees. There's something to see, so it really is an immersive experience, and it works in a headset. Um, and at every stop, there's either audio and or video and or labels. There's always some sort of, and occasionally some interpret, uh, interactive things. So there's always something to help you have a better understanding of what you're looking at, in a way. Because um, I think especially with natural history exhibits, when you're confronted with a stuffed wolf, you want to know why you're looking at that wolf. So um, we knew right from the start that interpretation was going to be, uh, you know, an important component of it. But as um, Becca mentioned, we uh, this wasn't a, a big budget project, and we knew from the beginning that rather than write a whole script to guide people through, we were going to work with the labels that existed, and. Um, so, uh, so that's what we did because it's just easier to listen to something than it is to read something and l be looking at something at the same time. And because especially in VR, audio is a really good way to direct people's attention. Although we didn't actually shoot or document or produce any ambisonic sound for this. But um, anyway, as you saw a little bit earlier um, in the little movie, when you arrive at a location, if you see the audio icon, you can tap on it uh, either with the controller or, um, or you know, on your screen, and, and it plays. And all the labels, the label copy was adapted slightly for, you know, for voice recording because you tend to speak differently than, than you read. Um, but they're all very short and pretty much to the point. Um, and one of the things that we did was, um, rather than just simply recording a voice speaking these things, we did try to animate that experience a little bit by adding room tone and sound effects. So, you know, room tone is very subtle and um, just makes you kind of feel like you're in a space a little bit, which was an important, uh, I think, an important thing for, for this. And, you know, the idea of, um, of adding the sound effects, uh, we added to go along with the pictures and the things that, uh, the images and, and the things that the, that the, the narrator was talking about. So we added the sound of rain or the sound of birds, and sometimes we added the sound of man-made sources like traffic or heavy machinery being operated, just to emphasize the significance of the message um, to create, a, and by creating a more sort of sensory experience. Um, the one thing we didn't plan on was um, the experience that people would have when they first got to the opening of the exhibition. When you walk into a physical space, an exhibition, there's introductory text, Everyone has, most people have no problem reading it and find it useful to help them frame, you know, whatever they're going to, they're about to see. But in this experience, it's really, um, what's the word? Not positive to be, to be just staring at a wall trying to read text. So we, we thought 
since the introductory text is really important for people to sort of understand why they're in this space and what they hope to understand and get out of it, um, we just did something really simple, which was to record the text of the introductory of the introductory label and um, throw pictures up at it essentially to create that little introductory video that you saw, so that um, it just helps people visualize what what the words are and they don't have to be reading the words. They're you know it's it, it was a better introductory experience. Um, we just understood that if they were going to skip the introduction, they would just really miss the point of what they were doing, because it's sort of the connecting tissue for, for everything that you see after that. So, um, yeah, so, you know, we met, uh, we definitely were able to meet the goals that you, that you set out, and um, uh, we've, when this, this will be, as a headset version, will be available on the Oculus Go store in about three weeks, um, but meanwhile, right now it's available on the web, and, um, and so it, it serves multiple audiences and multiple purposes. And because we're running a little bit out of time, I'm just going to hand it over to David. Hi. I'm going to go quick on the, how, how we, we, we built it based on the uh, capturing and creation that uh, Media Combo did. So, so once we had all the... So what Media Combo gave us is a 3D model that you can see on the, on the left. So it's a, really, it's a real 3D model photogrammetry, but it's not a high-res photogrammetry right. uh, model because it would be too heavy to handle in, in Unity or in WebGL or, or VR. So it's a combination, and that's the, the magic of it. It's a combination of a real 3D model and three, 150 panorama. And you, can, you may see on the right all those bubbles you can see, so it's Unity, and so the 150 panorama were recentered inside Unity, so inside the 3D model. And you can all see, also see a small camera uh, on the bottom right screen with a label, and so that's how we position the content inside the 3D model. So you have the best of the two worlds. You have a 3D model, so we can make it interactive as much as we want but you have high-res panorama, so it's when you are inside the Oculus version or the web version, you, have, you can read the label. That's yeah. why, that's why we, we didn't have to put a magnifier on every label because you could read the actual label of the exhibition, mm -hmm. which you couldn't do in photogrammetry, pure photogrammetry. Mm -hmm. uh, then the, the third point went to how you move in an exhibition. So okay, we all know about street view, so we kind of copy what worked pretty well. Uh, so we, we went into that with uh, Becca's um, set, uh, exa example of the, the video. So you had um, two, three options to move. One is teleportation. So you see the, the exhibition from above. You click and you are teleported in a, in, a, in a part of the exhibition. Second one was a list. And the third one was you can move with your fishing mode controller, whatever you call it, uh, from one point to another. So actually from one center of a panorama to another center of a panorama. You can't move a, a meter away or feet away. You have to move, from, jump from one center to the other center. But because there were so many panorama, you feel like you walk, actually. Uh, we only had to fine-tune the, the pace and the acceleration, because if it's too fast, fast, you can get motion sickness inside the VR uh, headset. So I think it's it's yeah, not too slow because not. so you can believe you move and not too fast so you get yeah. sick. 
four point how we display information. So we wanted to the information to be visible, but not too visible, uh, because otherwise it would get into the the way of the of the uh, experience. So. Um, some hotspots were needed when it was not needed, uh, as I was saying, no, no magnifier. Uh, so uh, three kind of uh, content, text, uh, video, as you have seen, and the, uh, play, the audio content. Audio, at the beginning, we had this big audio player, and it was really in your face. And at some point, it was like, we don't need, uh, uh, we don't need a fast forward or a play pause. We just need a play, stop because the content was short, short enough. Yeah. So we simplified the controller, so, so it's really subtle and not, uh, and not obvious, not, I mean, um, permanent. And last part, the interaction. So because we have the 3D model, it's basically we can do anything we want, any kind of interaction, like in a video game, you know. So that, that's, I think, the key takeaway of this project is what you have seen here is just the beginning. If tomorrow Vika's team wants to do uh, another room, but a totally virtual room, we can add it to the model. If we want to do a quiz, we can do it. If, so it's, but we have the foundation to build anything we want based on reality and digital experience. So what we did as a start is this uh, simple uh, experience with the visitors. So they could choose what emotion was inspired by the exhibition, and we would randomly uh, show them three post-it that were actually written during the exhibition. So it was kind of a part of digital, but real, with the handwritten notes. That was pretty cool. And the, the, <coughs> the poll, uh, so normally in the actual exhibition, it was like cork, right? Yeah. They would put, so you could see, uh, you, you wouldn't have the exact figure, but you could have a sense of who answered what. So here in, in VR, we reproduced it with, a, with the actual digital poll. The, that's pr pretty it, I think. Uh, we are, we've seen we have uh, five <laughs> minutes, minutes for <laughs> any questions. So right now you're using it kind of as a way, it seems like a preserving um, an exhibit that has already happened in the future. Do you foresee creating that to exist like concurrently with an exhibit so that people in the physical exhibit can see how digital users are interacting with it? Um, for this exhibit, yeah, um, we're sharing it around a lot in email. I mean, that's probably the most fluid way it's, it's making its way currently. Uh, we, but we do think about a sort of a long-term um, play of this. Like I was just talking to some other colleagues about connecting this exhibition to other exhibitions on the Anthropocene. I mean, you could really create a virtual museum of the Anthropocene um, by scanning and creating these experiences. But I don't think I answered your question. Um, in, in future exhibits, have you thought about doing this again? But yeah, I, I think that uh, one of the things we learned from this is like having it be so end-loaded really made us just have to think and do really quickly. I think that if we had started it and had been part of our planning process, we would have thought more about the story and how we might have um, composed that story in a specific way for this platform. But uh, I, you know, 
or my perspective, if we're creating these things, these physical things, and you can go in and scan it in four hours and have that you know, information, it seems silly to do any type of temporary show that goes in the bin. I mean, they really do go in the bin. Is a way for us to access that. And the technology is, at this point, pretty good to get high-res imagery. Um, well, some of the things we learned about scanning it is, you know, lighting is tricky. Yeah. So maybe doing it several times, like our lighting is like blasted, but and we couldn't, you know, really change that or turn that down in the model. So if we had spent more time with it, that would we would have maybe made things a little more dramatic and jewel-like. Also, like our ceiling is just as detailed as everything else in the show. <laughs> so we may have toned down <laughs> some of those things, like you would in a in a, a 3D uh, virtual model that you're creating to preview what the exhibition would look like. Uh, but for us, uh, I think, yeah, just exhibitions c are expensive to make, one. They're very time consuming to make, two. So if you're budgeting, add in, I don't know, 2% of the cost, less than that, just to scan it. Mm -hmm. And if, if and nothing else, it's an accessible archive of the show. So if somebody comes in and goes, oh yeah, I love, you know, I love Monet. I love it, and I'll give, you know, I want you to do another exhibition on Monet, I don't know, I'll give you a million dollars. You can share, from a fundraising perspective, able to share your, your entire catalog of, of things, not just what's open at the museum at any given time. And you, they're, they're together in their entirety. So um, that's exciting. Does anybody else have a question? I have a question for the, you're mentioning keeping this as an archival thing and what that archival preservation looks like for this VR. Yeah. I think it's TBD. Yeah. I, um, right now, you know, online, I mean, it could have a long life sitting there. Mm. You know, the Oculus Go, it's, you know, made that, I think that technology will probably age and change faster. Mm. But the programming language, which is which is Unity, uh, and sometimes people are using Unreal. I mean, that is the basis for all sort of virtual reality um, projects, and it's going to be around, you know, for quite a while. I mean, obviously, software evolves like everything else, you know, but um, it's 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 really hard to predict how long how long it will how long it will last. But as a you know as a as a method for providing the experience of what it was like to be in that exhibition, even if all you do is 360 spatial captures and then stitch them together so that you have an immersive experience, it's it's much more compelling than looking at a bunch of stills or, um, you know, even reading a catalog. Um, so it really gives you a better sense of what it was like to be in the exhibition without, you know, taking all those assets, um, putting all of them into Unity and doing CGI and totally recreating this fantastic, uh, you know, doing all the things that you could do to really make you feel like you're in the actual museum galleries. You don't really need to go that far to still have a pretty good experience, especially if you include, you know, the label con, if you include the interpretation, I think audio and video really, um, and interactivity, help. they help a lot. You need interpretation for, if, if you want to, if you don't want to walk people through the exhibition yourself, then you need to have some sort of interpretation for it. Any other questions? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So have you guys done projects like this before? And if you have, were there any things you encountered in this one that were like unexpected challenges? Um, this was the first one that we that we did, and you know we, I think we learned quite a few things. We tried to um, learn on the fly, mm. and improve what we could, uh, you know, within the time frame that we had. Um, and some things have to do with budget, and sort of depend on how much, you know, how much time and effort you want to put into it. But usually that takes advanced planning, I would say. You know, so instead of waiting until the exhibition is about to come down, say, okay, you know, we're having this exhibition come up whenever it is, and as Rebecca was suggesting, build into the budget the kind of thing that you want to, that you want to do, you know? I think, so we, we do a lot of AR projects, mm -hmm. so it's based on Unity uh, each time, so I think the, the tricky part here was to optimize all the content so it loads quickly when you walk, you don't mm -hmm. have to wait, because there is a, a lot of, I mean, there is 150 panorama plus this big 3D model, so it has to be smooth, so that was the main challenge. Other than that, it's a pretty simple uh, VR project. You yeah. have to, once Definitely. everything is set up, you have to install the right you know, yeah. markers to get the content. A little bit of UI work too, but even though the, the experience is not super complex, so it was pretty easy. Yeah. So mainly optimization and, and adjustment. And it, the VR is here if anybody wants to see it. Check it out. Mm -hmm. And it'll be on Oculus. In a yeah, couple weeks. In a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, and the Go is a it's a two hundred dollar headset, so as headsets go, it's not expensive. <laughs> Anything else? Well thank you. Thank you so thank much you. for coming.